Welcome to this presentation from the Downey Seventh-day Adventist Church. We are located in the greater Los Angeles area at 9820 Lakewood Boulevard in Downey, California. We would love to have you worship with us any Saturday you are in our area. Today's message is God's Restoration Part 2. Now, here's Pastor Chris. Welcome everybody to our service today. Uh, as you know, we're going through an interesting time where we're uh, not able to meet together, so we're recording this and, and bringing it to you uh, live. And uh, we got a couple announcements here before we we, we start this. Um, we're going to be starting a prayer group uh, online. It's, we're going to be using the Zoom app, if you have that. And so that's going to be Mondays at 12 o'clock and Wednesdays at 6.30 p.m., Pastor is going to be hosting that and leading out that uh, that group and where we can get together and pray together. And anybody can call in. If you've got a cell phone, you can call in. If you have an old rotary dial phone, you can call in and be a part of that. So we'll be getting that information out to everybody with how to call in. Also, our office hours here at the church are changing. We're going to have somebody here Monday, Wednesday, and Friday from 12 to 2 p.m., so uh, just be aware of that. There's a little less hours here. And while we're talking about hours, some people may want to be coming by and picking up their quarterlies. So the new quarter is starting, and uh, the quarterlies are available. Also, parents may want to come and pick up the guides and the, the children's lessons for the children. We have those available here. Please just contact the office. Make sure somebody's here. Uh, we'll get that to you. We'll We'll practice social distancing and, you know, try and be safe, but you can swing by and pick those up. One last announcement. Next week is communion. We are going to do communion online. And it's going to be a little bit different. We are not going to do the foot washing, but we will do the bread and the cup together. So you have a week to get together a bread and and your cup, whatever you're going to drink from, and do communion with us online. Just get a cracker. If you can't get a cracker, get a tortilla. If you can't get a tortilla, a piece of bread. Just anything will do. Don't get too hung up on having it just right. Grape juice is awesome. If you can't get grape juice, orange juice is fine. If you can't get any juice, Jesus turned water to wine. Use some of that. So uh, we will be getting together next week to do communion, and we just want everybody to be ready and have prepared as, as best they can and have their, their cup and, and their bread ready for that. And so uh, may God bless us as we continue here with our service now. Let's pray. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for allowing us to be here, Lord, together, even though all our brothers and sisters are not here today. But in the meantime, Lord, bless them, big with them, Provide for them. Shield them from all this sickness that is going on right now, Lord. Please be with us. Give us the comfort. Give us the faith. Give us all that we need, the tools to praise you and say thank you. Bless the sick people. You know, we have few in the church. Thank you because you're doing your job, Lord, and they feel better now. Thank you for everything, Lord. 
bless our pastor, bless our officials of this church, be with them. Allow, Lord, to be with you all the time, and especially now, Lord, that we need you more than anything else. Be with us, bless us, and protect us. In Jesus' name we ask, amen. Well, thank you, Rick and Bill. Um, Hello, friends. It's good to be joining with you today. I know this is uh, a unique time. I've never... uh, We're taping this prior to Sabbath, and it feels a little weird. It's 4 o'clock in the afternoon. And... um, but I'm glad to be joining with you. And so whether it's right now or it's on Sabbath or it's Tuesday at 4 a.m., whatever it may be, I hope and pray that uh, the Lord is good, you're thriving, and that we can move forward with courage. 1996, the Lakers, Los Angeles Lakers, um, Jerry West in particular, worked very hard. His intent was to sign one of the biggest, if not the greatest big man to ever play, Shaquille O'Neal, away from the Orlando Magic. And such was the courtship and eventually culminated with Shaquille O'Neal signing. It was a high day for L.A. And as well, I'm sure Shaq wanted to move to L.A. because he wanted to do movies. He wanted to live the L.A. lifestyle. And in that same year as well, I believe it was the the Charlotte Hornets drafted Kobe Bryant. And shortly thereafter, the Lakers made a trade to get Kobe. And Kobe at the time, he was a teenager, never played college ball. But they saw something in him, a diamond in the rough, that they knew would be a superstar. And over the next couple of seasons, there were many hits and misses. Things did not pan out as well. And after the the, uh, the short, uh, lockout-shortened season, Dale Harris was not resigned, and in comes Phil Jackson, the architect of six great NBA championships with the Chicago Bulls. And it's here then, at this point, several seasons have gone by, and it's here that Kobe Bryant is becoming the legit supporting superstar to Shaq. And in that 1999-2000 season, they had a great run. They won over 67 games, only lost 15. And in the first uh, two rounds of the championships, they handled their opponents rather easily. And keep in mind as well, at that time, especially in the early 2000s, Frankly, if your team was in the Western Conference, you felt this air of superiority over the Eastern Conference because you had the Lakers, you had the Sacramento Kings, you had the Portland Trailblazers, you had the Suns, you had the Mavericks, all teams that over the next five to six years would be battling it out hard. And so much so that if you won the Western Conference championship It almost, in a sense, was really, that was a real championship. Because the East, although they had a handful of great teams, and did not mirror what was in the West. And so we find ourselves in the Western Conference championships where Portland and the Lakers are going at it. And the first 
the, the Lakers did well enough that they found themselves being up 3-1 to one on the Trailblazers. Until finally, the Trailblazers won the next two games. And it was 3-3. It was crunch time. Game 7. And everything that the Lakers had been working on, they were battling, they were, they were working hard, everything fell apart in the first half. And in the third quarter as well, up until the last five seconds, nothing clicked. Their defense was being stuffed out. Their, their shooting, they couldn't make a shot. Until finally, in the very last closing seconds of the third quarter, Brian Shaw, he was on the right side. I remember the shot distinctly. He shoots it. And it's not just any shot. It's an actual three-pointer. And he banks it off of the glass, and it goes in. And at that point, they had been down by 16 points. And finally, they make a three-pointer three until finally, then they're only down by 13. And it was there in this shot that the whole momentum and game had changed. Up until before that three-pointer, I had almost resigned myself to where, man, they're not going to be able to come back. The trailblazers were too strong. Pippen, Rashid, Wallace, their defense was on point. But then something happens. After Brian Shaw makes that three, they have their quick timeout because of in-between quarters. And over the fourth quarter, every time the Trailblazers had possession of the ball, they missed 13, (laughs) 13 consecutive shots which allowed the Lakers to come back and go on a scoring run. And not just get on a scoring run, but eventually find themselves ahead. It was one of the greatest comebacks in Lakers history. And so much so that towards the very end, one of the, I believe it was the last couple possessions of the game, Kobe was, Kobe was dribbling the ball down. And Pippen was guarding him at the top of the key. And he crossed over, he goes down, and he lobs the ball up, and it's there that Shaq, he points up, he goes up, and he slams the ball down. One of the greatest dunks. He comes around, and his eyes, you could see, are huge, and they're opening, and he's completely amazed. It was one of the best basketball games, probably, to be honest, one of, if not my most favorite Lakers game of that era. Later, they would eventually face the Pacers and eventually beat Reggie Miller and all the Pacers. Unfortunately, I I began working at summer camp, so I couldn't see that championship parade. I couldn't see uh, those games. But after, as I read back, I realized, wow, what an amazing run. When it looked for certain that the Lakers were doomed. After the championship series, Phil Jackson actually commented the fact that He thought the team would do well, but he did not even expect to win a championship in his first season with the Lakers. Life sometimes can throw maybe a curveball, a wrench, whatever it may be. Sometimes it's good and sometimes it's bad. Sometimes the ending is not what we expected. When we look at life and when we also look towards the end of time, There are some things about it that maybe we don't realize and is going to have an unexpected ending. 
And when we look at uh, Revelation to set up this, uh, this uh, when we're, we're talking about the millennium and the end of sin, and it's here, in, and we're going to start out actually briefly in chapter 19. It talks about how Christ describes Christ riding on a horse with the intent of going to war uh, with and defeating the kings of the earth and their armies. And it's here that it begins with the millennium and the second coming of Jesus. Now, a millennium is a period of time, and a period of time where uh, a thousand years. So what happens at beginning of the millennium? Well, we've already talked a bit about it before. In fact, we talked about it, I believe, if not two, if not three weeks ago, where we talk about the second coming. So if maybe you want to pause, you want to go back and, and listen or, or, or watch that sermon and then come back, that's fine. But we, uh, we talk, it begins with the second, uh, the, the, the advent of Jesus. And when Jesus comes, do we have, sorry, well, do we have notes? Okay. So I'm used to having a clicker, and uh, it's not working. So the second advent of Christ, God will call those who have been asleep, those who have fallen, who are believers of Jesus, who believe that Jesus is their Savior. He will call those who have been sleeping. We think of it as dead, but really when people die, as we've learned, it is those who have simply fallen asleep and are waiting for the Lord to come. Those who are asleep... God will raise them. And this is the first resurrection. As, as we read, with a shout, with a trumpet, those who are still awake as well will join those to meet those who have been awakened with them in the air with Christ. And it's here that as well God will take them and will reside in heaven for, over, for a thousand years, over a millennium. And I long for that day to spend time because I got a lot of questions for God. <laughs> <laughs> much like I'm sure many of you do. In fact, we even there's even a promise that we've talked about, especially in our small groups, where in John, I believe it's 14, talks about the Father is already preparing a place for us to come home to. Amen? Amen? That's a promise where I know that I will be safe, there will be a roof over my head, food, I'm sure, abundantly, and as well, to be able to just spend time with our Savior. That's a promise that I, I look forward to seeing complete. And yet for those of uh, those who are not in Christ, they're going to be caught unaware, much like the people in the time of Noah who were caught unaware of the flood. Noah had spent much time telling everybody, there's going to be rain. And unfortunately for them, they had never experienced rain. In fact, they called Noah crazy. Why are you making a boat? You don't know what you're talking about. And yet God is even now, trying to let everybody know God is coming, and as well as ambassadors for Jesus, it's our, our calling to know, be able to bring people to Christ as well. Let them know that Jesus is coming soon. For those, though, who perhaps rejected Christ, who not want to have anything to do with God as well, they'll be caught unaware, much like those who were caught unaware in the time of Noah. And it's here that in Revelation 19.21 it says, The rest were killed with the sword coming out of the mouth of the order of the rider on the horse, and all of the birds gorging themselves on their flesh. So one of the things that we have to also look at is that one of the points is that those of us who are united with Christ, 
go to heaven. Those here on earth are to be slain. In fact, Revelation 20 verses 1 through 3 says, And I saw an angel coming down out of heaven now, having the key to the abyss, and holding in in his hand a great chain. He seized the dragon, that ancient serpent, who was the devil, or Satan. He bound him for a thousand years. He threw him into the abyss and locked and sealed it over him to keep him from deceiving the nations anymore until a thousand years were ended. And after that, he must be set free for a very short time. Even as I'm standing here, I know we've been told not to touch our face, and I've got this big itch on my face. <laughs> so, <clears throat> forgive me, i got to do it. <sighs> the word abyss here comes from, uh, we sometimes translate it as the bottomless pit. And it comes from the, the Greek word abusos. And in the Greek version of the Old Testament, also known as the Septuagint, it actually uh, mirrors that of Genesis 1, verse 2. Before all the creation had happened, it says the abusos, translated as a deep, is to describe how it was prior to creation, where uh, it's formless and empty. And here in Revelation, it simply means that the millennium, Satan will be confined to this desolate earth, simply with no ability to tempt anyone. So, the earth becomes desolate. All those who are not in heaven have died. And it's here that this earth will be desolate, nothing, formless. And it's there that Satan is going to be bound for a thousand years. Can you imagine being bound by yourself for a thousand years? Nobody to talk to, nobody to congregate. Just sit there. Jeremiah actually describes uh, the earth as desolate, even to the point that it's just as crazy and chaotic before creation happened. I look forward to that time, too, where Satan could no longer harm us, can no longer cause pain for us, no more tears. The devil's caused and wreaked a lot of ravage here on earth and will account for the fact of being held up for a thousand years with no one to talk to. You ever been at a point where, especially in today's day and age, where we're so dependent on our phones and our tablets that maybe you end up at the car mechanic's shop. You're forced to be there because you're not able to call or order uh, an Uber ride because your phone has died. And you got to sit there for over two hours. <laughs> no book. 20 years ago, wouldn't even think about it. We just we would sit there, but because we've been so uh, so trained now to where we could just look on our phone and look up anything, that just to stop and pause, and especially right now, a lot of our family. All right. Can you hear me? All right, we find ourselves <clears throat> sometimes where we've relied too much on technology and now we have to stop and we have to pause. And sometimes I think that's a good thing, especially in the time that we live where some of us may be homebound and we can't leave. And rather than sulking about it and maybe thinking about well, what am I going to do next? Find opportunities. We were talking about earlier where uh, one of our members discovered, oh, he thought he would have time to where we could, he could 
update all of the family pictures, digitize them. Or maybe somebody's thinking, hey, I now finally have time to clean out my garage. And not just me, maybe make a game of it with your kids. Uh, find ways to rearrange your house. Or maybe follow the KonMari method and try to get rid of something, well, at least one thing a day. Get your house in order. But it's also a time as well where I know some of our parents here as well, they suddenly find themselves now become insta-homeschool teachers. Uh, take time. Spend time with your kids. And maybe not just even do just the homework, but take time, snuggle up on the couch, get a blanket, and just read. Read anything. These are the times that rather than taking a time where it's fearful and chaotic, take it as an opportunity to be able to really spend time with your family. Now, I don't deny as well that some of our friends and family are facing the fact that they're not even able to work. I recognize that. And there are some tensions. We're feeling emotional. We're scared. But we're reminded as well that this is not the end. Even though the sun may seem like it's being blotted out by the darkness and the clouds, at the end of the day, the sun will still rise. So let's hold on to that hope. Now, during the millennium, what we've been talking about has been at the very beginning. During the millennium, in verse 4 of chapter 20, it talks about, I saw thrones on which were seated those who had been given authority to judge, and I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony, those who have been martyrs in Christ. That's what they're talking about. About Jesus and because of the word of God. They had not worshipped the beast or its image and had not received its mark on the foreheads or on their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ a thousand years. Verse 6, blessed and holy are those who share in the first resurrection. The second death has no power over them, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. So as we go to heaven, there is going to be a time of a thousand years well, where we will reign with Christ. In fact, even when we look to the New Testament, uh, when talking and helping to understand this time, Paul says uh, in 1 Corinthians that the saints will judge the world and even will judge angels. And Jesus as well says, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you have followed me, you who have followed me will sit on the twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. So it's here, it's this combined idea of the fact that both of the, the saints reigning with Christ and as well about judging that even John speaks about in verse 4. This is during the millennium. And then when we get to the end of the millennium, we find that Christ, the saints, and the glorious city then descend from heaven down. And it's here that Jesus will end the great controversy, the battle between good and evil that has been going on for thousands of years. And it's here that God ends the controversy and as well, he's going to change, he's going to purify, he's going to renew the earth so that the new Jerusalem can be set forth. And in verse 7 of chapter 20, it says, When the thousand years are over, Satan, as we had pointed out, will be released from his prison and even tries to go out to deceive the nations of the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, and together with, to gather them for the battle in numbers. The, their numbers are like the sand of the seashore, and Satan's captivity ends with the attack on the city. So those who as well 
had been uh, dead prior to those who had rejected God, there's actually a second resurrection. So Satan's going to try to gather and align them, gather all those who had basically pledged allegiance to Satan to bring up and try to attack the city, the new Jerusalem. And it's here that those who were in Christ, who were inside, who were protected, that God finally is going to end this great controversy. And it's here that in verse 11, as we continue, I saw a great white throne in him, i.e. Jesus, who was seated on it. The earth and the heavens fled from his presence, and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. Now, some of us may be wondering here, well, if the dead had already been dead, why did God bring them back to life? God could have just left them dead. And yet, while the saints had been reigning with Christ, they were able to see as well the the opportunity of how God had treated everyone with grace and love, but yet as well, there are those who ultimately rejected God. And it's here that we can understand, too, why they had rejected and did not want to be with God. And it's here, finally, as we continue, in this great white throne judgment, much like Paul writes in Philippians 2, that they've seen God for who he is and recognize and will bow. Every knee will bow and acknowledge in heaven and on earth and under the earth that Jesus Christ is Lord. And it's here that we find that, finally, Satan and all sinners are to be gone. In verse 9, it says, They marched across the breadth and earth, surrounded the camp of God's people, the city he loves, but the fire came down from heaven and devoured them. So much so it becomes a lake of fire, and this lake of fire consumes, and all those are caught up in it. Verse 15 points out, anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. So not only the devil, but all of the devil's associates as well are in the fire. I don't long for that day in the sense of maybe I have a loved one who may not be with us because certainly we love them. But it's here that in, in some ways there is hope because of the fact that there may be some of our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ um, were familiar with that they preach this belief that there's going to be a hell and that there could be everlasting torment, right? Some of us are familiar with that. But yet, if God brings the, uh, a lake of fire and finally annihilates and also then creates a new earth, where would the tormenting be? Because at the end, it is finished. When we talk about um, forever here, especially in this, sometimes it's a, it's a play on words. When we think about uh, Jonah, it's said that he would be in the belly forever. We also talk about uh, Samuel, who would be a prophet forever. And then even Onesimus, uh, in, the, in the letter to Philemon, uh, he was writing to him that he would send him back and he would be his servant forever. 
forever to the point where he would eventually pass and die. When death comes, that will be it. No more. So, if you're afraid of you do something bad and you find yourself on the wrong side of God and in your thinking, remember that we're not called to burn forever. So much so now, sometimes when we think about this topic as well, I fear that I may be on the wrong side. And I want to point out to you that God's invitation is out there for you right now. And I want to ask, truly, if you want to invite God to be in your heart, it's simply a simple prayer of, God, please come into my heart, and I want to follow you. And I want you to lead me through the whole rest of my life. And understand, too, that nobody is perfect. We all make our mistakes, especially even in the journey. Sometimes it seems like, when we become on fire with God and we realize that Christ is our Savior and we get baptized, sometimes the journey gets a little rougher too. But we're not alone. And the beauty of that is we have our church. Now, especially in this time, it's a little harder because we're not necessarily able to meet here as a church. But I want to encourage us as we move forward, especially continue to reach out to our brothers and sisters. As I've been making phone calls this week, I know a number of our members are feeling sad because we're not able to get together. We're not able to shake hands or hug. And really, like I, I said last week as well, our church may be the only family that somebody has. So it's important that if you have our directory or, or something, make a point to try to call five people, and especially five people that you're not familiar with. We have to be able to support each other, especially during this time where there's, there's a sense of uh, uncertainty and together. With God, all things are possible. To listen and to share, and most importantly as well, to pray for one another. Now, after the fire has consumed everything, there is a better promise, though. After the earth is cleansed, in Revelation 21, a verse that set of verses that many of us know and have taken to heart. One of the most beautiful promises is here. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And there was no longer any sea, for I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. And then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. You know, when we look at the very beginning of the Bible, in Genesis, God says, in the beginning. God creates, heaven sees the whole creation. God creates this new earth, and it's filled with animals and plants, fish, and people. 
and you go to the very end of the book of Revelation, guess what? God desires to be with God's people and renews the earth. God creates, the earth is cleansed, creates a new earth where God will be able to spend time with God's people. And it's there that we will live forever with the Lord. Revelation 20 to close. He who testifies in these things says, Yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people. Amen. May we not look to fear of the second coming, but the hope. And if you have any questions about that journey, about knowing Jesus, please don't be afraid to reach out to us. We want to begin that. We want to help you begin that walk of getting to not only know who God is, but to really get to know who God is and discover a loving God and Savior who desires to be with you. So may you take hope in the promise that though there may be some hard times ahead, and especially as we're dealing with right now, a lot of question marks, we have the promise and assurance that God has the final say. May we take heart in that. And together, may we walk together. And just as as, uh, Bill announced as well, we're going to be taking initiatives to be able to especially connect with one another, whether it be on Zoom uh, or we're going to be, we want to make sure that our interaction still continues. However long this experience takes, whether it's next week, four months, whatever it may be. We believe God is faithful and will see us through. Let us pray. God, we thank you for life. We thank you for your grace, Lord. Sometimes it seems like the future is scary. But Lord, we have hope and faith in you. And as well, Lord, may we be faithful in our calling that you have set out for us to love well, not only you, but others, and as well to continue to teach, preach, and baptize, Lord, that all may know, God. And we pray as well that during this time of uncertainty, There's a lot of information going in about. Help us, Lord, to discern. Give us wisdom. Give us guidance. Help us, Lord, to continue to minister to one another and to lead and guide us in all that we do. Be with Downey Church, Lord, and the city of Downey. Help us, Lord, to know how to minister to others. Thank you for your grace, and Lord, we long for the day you will return soon. In Jesus' name, amen. Grace and peace, everyone. Have a great week. We hope you have been blessed by this message from the Downey Seventh-day Adventist Church. You can find more messages at www.downeychurch.org. God bless.